that a spirit of worship would sweep through this house. For those that were with us Monday night at More You Mondays, it was a, a wonderful time. There was such a sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want that again tonight. I know that the Lord is here. I know that he's longing to move in and through our lives. We just have to make ourselves available and invite him to come and to do what only he can do. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, right now, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst, Lord, that you are already moving and working on our behalf. And Lord, I pray right now, God, for each and every request that was given tonight, Lord, that you would move on their behalf for the Corbin family, that your Holy Spirit would just invade that hospital room right now, that you would strengthen his heart, Lord, physically, Lord. We know, Lord, that the spiritual strength is there, Lord, but he needs it physically, Lord. I pray that you touch Nikki and the children, Lord, that you give them peace and comfort in knowing that you are in control, Lord. God, for each and every one that's battling sickness, Lord, whatever it may be, we know that you are still in the healing business, Lord. And we just lay these requests at your feet. And tonight, as we begin to worship you, Lord, let us worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, that you would come and move, Lord, in this house again, that a spirit of worship would just envelop us, Lord, that we couldn't contain, God, our praise. We couldn't help but shout your praise, Lord, for all of the things that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We give your name glory tonight, God. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Time. 
come to worship you tonight, God. We come to lift up your name in this place, God. God, come and have your way in this house, Lord. We praise your name.
satisfy you know we go through seasons in life where nothing seems to just work or, or we just feel like that's not it and that's not it and so we keep trying thing after thing but I want to tell you tonight all you have to do is come to the river because he's the only one who can satisfy things of this world are temporary they only last for a moment but the Lord endures forever what he does in and through our lives it's eternal it's the only thing that lasts so tonight I encourage you whether it be at the end of the service in here or in children's church or the youth taste and see that the Lord is good the Word tells us to do that. It tells us to, to test Him, right? To try, to step out. And I'm going to tell you, when you step out in faith, believing the Lord, you're not going to be disappointed. He's not going to fail you. He's not. He can't. By His own nature, by His own character, He cannot fail you. So tonight, I know you're just like me. I'm just like you. We all have areas in our lives where we need to taste and see that the Lord is good in this area of our life. Right? Not just in, in, in the area of salvation is He good, but He's good in the areas of, of healing. He's good in the, the areas of deliverance and providing and protecting. And we need to trust Him in those areas of our lives because the enemy would like for us to go from person to person, man to man, you know, those things that the world has to offer. But the Lord says, come to the river, the river of life, and it's flowing tonight. It is flowing tonight, and all we have to do is by faith step in. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for precious times of worship, Lord, where you soften our hearts, Lord, to receive the word that's about to go forth. And Lord, I pray that you anoint each one that's gonna be speaking tonight, Lord. 
Oh, that your anointing would rest on them so strongly, Lord, that it not fall on deaf ears, Lord, but that each and every ear is open and attentive to your word tonight. That your word tonight would produce good fruit in our lives. That we would have a manifestation, Lord, of your goodness and your faithfulness tonight in this house, Lord. We give this time to you, Lord. Do what you can only do. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Youth and children, you are dismissed. You can bring it up here just in case. And those that are staying here in the sanctuary. And in case you didn't recognize him, Melvin is in the house tonight. <laughs> it's been a long time. He's grown a foot and his uh, voice is a couple octaves lower. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm glad he's here with us. All right, Jason, thank you singers and musicians as always. Now y'all watch, I'm gonna forget this thing behind me. <laughs> and I'm probably gonna trip over it and fall. Let's do this, I'm gonna pull it back just a little further. That way if I step back, I won't be right on it. And if I need it, I can pull it up. I've had something going on in the top of my stomach. I went, that was yesterday, um, for an ultrasound to see what was going on. Of course, they didn't find anything, which is great but it doesn't make the pain go away because they didn't find anything. So just pray that this pain will subside and uh, it's just a burning pain. I don't know how else to describe it, uh, but the Lord's faithful. He'll see me through. So, but Jason uh, is at the beach uh, with his dad. He's not vacationing. He's actually doing work. Um, so he says hello and to pray he gets through. He's putting in a new ceiling and flooring. Um, for his dad, we were at a funeral for his uncle yesterday. Great time, great encouragement um, to just keep on in the work of the Lord. Uh, statistics were given that he had preached, and he stopped reporting, I think it was in 2006, but up until then had preached over 4,000 and something sermons. Um, personally had led uh, almost 4,000 people to the Lord, and so what a testimony, amen, and uh, it just really encouraged me to keep on keeping on, and uh, and just seeing that church that was built, that he built, at Union Road Church of God in Gastonia, it's a great thing, and knowing that that's what we're doing, you and I, we're building the kingdom of the Lord. And every time we encourage someone in the Lord, every time we invite someone to church or speak the word to someone, that's what we're doing. We're building the kingdom of God, and we got to keep on. We can't quit now, right? If you have your word tonight, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. And yes, I am being very ambitious tonight. <laughs> Vanessa shakes her head, yes. Uh, we are going to try to read, because I want to keep it all in context, verses 53 all the way to the end verses, to verse 72. So buckle up and pray my oxygen lasts that we can get through this. But if you're there, Mark 14, starting at verse 53, say amen. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. 
and were assembled all with him all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat there with servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priest and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain... And bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is, what is it which these witness against you? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. The most powerful two words in the word of God. I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, We... We, what need we any further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, prophesy. And the servant did strike him with the palms of their hands. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there comes one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And you also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what you say. And he went out into the porch, and the rooster crowed. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them who stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they who stood by said again to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech agrees thereto. Meaning, we can just tell by the way you talk that you know him, right? Your accent. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the rooster crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the rooster crowed twice, you shall deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Tonight, the title for uh, my message, if you want to write it down, is Jesus' Trial. Peter's denial, because that's exactly what we um, see contained within this portion of Scripture. We know from the Gospels that Jesus had two trials prior to his going to Calvary and being crucified for the sins of the world, a Jewish trial and a Roman trial. Uh, in our study, we're going to look at Jesus' first trial, uh, and it was a trial by the chief priests and scribes and elders of Israel that occurred uh, during the middle of the night. And the second aspect of today's or tonight's message um, involves Peter. And while he was in the courtyard of the high priest, while Jesus is being tried uh, in the closed door hearing, we see that just as Jesus had prophesied, uh, what would happen to Peter 
what he would do. He would deny him. Uh, he indeed denied Christ three times uh, before the cock uh, of morning crows twice. And it's so obvious by reading these events uh, of Jesus' trial that nothing legally was followed for these trials. Uh, in fact, uh, some say that as many as 21 to 22 uh, laws were broken. They violated their own law, the Mosaic law, in trying Jesus this way. It's difficult to count them all up, um, but all of, the, all of these violations were against Jewish law. Uh, just briefly, in capital cases like Jesus' trials at night were forbidden, so that was the first law that they broke. Uh, in cases where a guilty verdict was reached, a second day and session was required to ensure a, f a fair trial. But we know that didn't happen. It all took place within a 24-hour span. Uh, a trial shouldn't convene on Sabbath or a festival. We know this is right at Passover right? That it's all going on. A charge of blasphemy uh, could not be sustained unless the defendant cursed God's name. And then, if that even happened, the penalty was stoning, not crucifixion. So what they eventually um, charged him with, blasphemy, didn't even call for crucifixion. It called for stoning, but yet they had their minds made up. And then no formal meeting of the Sanhedrin ever took place in the temple uh, precincts, the proper location for a trial, and then Jesus was not offered or provided a defense attorney. So, so many laws were broken. There were a lot of other um, laws that were broken, uh, but two things that we need to remember that many of the legal procedures uh, contained within the rabbinic law were purely theoretical uh, and were rarely ever put into practice, right? These religious leaders were obviously motivated by expediency. They wanted to get it done. They knew this was their chance, and they were bound and determined to put Jesus to death. Now, I also want us to bear in mind that all of this was a part of God's plan. The timing of when Jesus would be crucified, it was all God's timing because we know that it happened at the precise hour that the Passover lamb would have been sacrificed. It all had great meaning. But now, I, I say that, that this was God's plan, but still man had to choose to do this. Right? It wasn't predestination. God didn't force men to do this. They willingly chose to crucify Jesus. Religious and political authorities uh, would conspire to put him to death, and his closest companion will draw near only to deny that he ever knew him. The end is near. He's all alone. So how are things going to go for him? Well... We know. I just read it. But in Revelation 1 and 5, Revelation 1 and 5, did I give you all that scripture? Okay. As I said that, it hit me that I didn't do it because I'm only referencing a small point. It says, the risen and glorified Christ is called the faithful witness. Okay? And the word witness uh, occurs some seven times in just the nine verses of our text, the word witness. I don't know if you noticed that when I was reading it, um, but it, 
we should clue in on that, that there is a reason that the word witness is there. And under all of the persecution, Jesus will stand up and speak out, bearing clear testimony concerning who he is and what he will do. We just read it in verse 62 uh, of chapter 14. And if you want to put that back up there, he says, I am and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven, right? He knows it. He knows that by making that statement, he is, in essence, sealing his faith. He knows what that will do. That's exactly what they wanted him to do, so they could turn it around and say, that's blasphemy. You're not who you say you are, right? Um, but he knows it's what he has to do. Why? Because my soul, your soul, all of mankind's souls hang in the balance right now. He could have chosen not to do this, right? But he willingly gave up his life. How many times have we purposed in our hearts and we've decided that we're going to take a stand no matter the cost? Even if we know we're going to get backlash, even if we know things aren't going to sit well with people, we may even lose a job. Relationships may be severed, right? But have we come to that place and time in our lives where it doesn't matter, we've got to take a stand for him. We've got to take a stand for him. Why? Because he did it for us. He did it for each and every one of us, and that should be motivation enough tonight for us to do the same for him. Why? He's, he looked at each and, each and every one of you, and he said, you're worth it. You're worth me opening my mouth and declaring who I am. And some people need to hear that. They need to understand that you're worth it. The word tells us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So tonight you might be viewing by Facebook or Internet, and you need to know that you're worth it, even in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the pit that you find yourself in, in the darkest, deepest hour of your life. Christ looked at you and said, you're worth it. You're worth me taking a stand and declaring who I am, knowing that would send me to Calvary's cross. We can't forget, he came to die. That's why he came to this earth, to die on the cross for you and for me. Verses 53 through 59, we see that Jesus was taken to the high priest and a man named Joseph. Caiaphas was held, uh, he held the office in A.D. 18 through 36. He succeeded his father, um, Annas, uh, who was removed by the Romans in A.D. 18. But evidently, he still had enormous influence because the scripture tells us um, John 18 and 12 records that the soldiers actually took him to his house first before um, they met with the 71 members of the Sanhedrin, right, um, that they gathered together to, to hold the trial. So evidently this man had still a lot of influence uh, in those days. Peter alone apparently followed at a distance. The word just said that, and when I read that, I'm like, oh, following at a distance. I could really go off on that, but for time's sake, I can't. But so many today follow Jesus at a distance. And can I tell you, it's not good enough. 
You can't make it just following him at a distance. And as you see, as we have read and will continue to read on, Peter came to that place of he had to fully repent and become one with Christ. He had to abide in Christ. Following at a distance will only get you so far, right? You can't do that. You've got to fully submit yourself to the Lord. But he did follow him right into the courtyard of the high priest uh, where he sat with the guards, and it says he warmed himself by the fire. So he deserves some credit for doing that. Nobody else did. He was the only one. And the kangaroo court of chief priest and Sanhedrin, the council, sought witnesses against Jesus. But guess what? They struck out. They couldn't find a credible witness. The word says they found none. In fact, the false witnesses they were enabled to enlist didn't even agree with one another. You know, you, when something crazy happens and the news reporters show up and they interview the absolute worst people in the world to interview, and what people say, it never lines up. I mean, they'll give 20 different stories, <laughs> you know, on one account. And that's exactly what happened here. Some accused him of saying that he would destroy and rebuild the temple in three days. And Jesus did indeed say something like this, but in John 2.19, um, we find that he was really referencing his body. And they didn't get that. It says, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of himself being crucified, and then in three days uh, being raised from the dead. Right, But they thought he was referring to Herod's temple. Uh, but John made it clear that he was speaking of his body in resurrection. No wonder, right, um, that their testimonies didn't agree. Destruction of a worship place in that time uh, was an offense, a capital offense uh, in the ancient world. I wish it were so today. You know, all of the churches that are bombed and destroyed and... Um, even here in the United States, those that are set on fire, I mean, we hear things all the time happening to the church buildings, and um, it, maybe they get a slap on the wrist, you know, because they're not sacred places anymore to anyone, um, just a, a regular building. But in those days, it was a capital offense. Um, scripture required unanimous testimony from at least two witnesses, uh, for a conviction uh, to take place, and that's found in Deuteronomy and in Numbers. But these lying witnesses summoned from their slumbers late at night simply could not get their story straight. Um, Jesus, in this case, and we see this a lot, uh, was guilty until proven innocent, instead of the opposite which it should have been. He was guilty until proven innocent. And can I tell you, he was not going to be found innocent. Not, not at all. Not in the slightest chance would he be found innocent. The Mishnah said a Sanhedrin, which is often as once in seven years condemns a man to death, is a slaughterhouse. And can I tell you that on this very night, they were determined to slaughter their victim. Right? A true witness will always tell the truth, 
no matter the consequences. They will stand for truth. And the trial of Jesus had not gone as planned. In fact, it was a debacle. It was a farce. It was a sham. Uh, the case was unraveling right before them, and it was headed for disaster from the perspective of the religious leaders. But the high priest Caiaphas comes on the scene, and he begins to interrogate Jesus himself. He says, I'm going to get I'm going to get him now. I'm going to, you know, trap him in this. And he, and he did. Um, any idea of judicial fairness, uh, fairness and impartiality just went out the window. He asked Jesus to respond to the charges of the false witnesses. That was in verse 60. And it tells us that Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Isaiah 53 and verse 7, and I'm going to turn there because I want to read um, the notes. They're so good. And if you have an expositor's Bible, you can read along. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. There's a lot of people who need to take heed to this. <laughs> don't open your mouth. Don't say a word, right? He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opens not his mouth. My notes say this first phrase refers to all that was done to him in his humiliation, suffering, and agony. He could so easily have vindicated himself from every charge. Therefore, he self-abased himself. It seemed like an admission of guilt, and in fact was, but not his guilt. And I want you to get that. It wasn't his guilt, but the guilt of those who were accusing him, as well as the entirety of the world. Of all the Levitical offerings, and there were five total, the lamb was the animal most used. Hence, John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And what a beautiful picture that is. No doubt, full of frustration by now, the high priest addresses Jesus again and asks him, uh, this time under oath according to Matthew 26 and 63. Um, it says, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed, right? He asked him this question, and I want just for a second you to realize the confession that this man is making he knew who Jesus was, right? And we find this confession happening, happening again um, in Mark. The two people who were responsible or crucified Jesus actually confessed and saying that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God, the son of the blessed. I just found that to be interesting um, and, and, and ironic at the same time. Remember, numerous times in Mark's gospel, Jesus asked those who followed him, those who um, he touched, he healed, to be silent concerning who he was. Remember, he would heal someone and he would say, go straight way home. <laughs> you know, don't, don't stop, don't talk to anybody, don't tell them who did this. Uh, of course, they did because they couldn't contain it. They couldn't help but testify uh, of who it was. But the time now for the secret has come to an end um, and called under divine oath to bear witness to his true identity. He does not flinch. He does not waver. But he directly and openly affirms, I am.
those two words, how powerful those two words are. Whatever you have need of, he is. He's able. He's already accomplished it. He's already sealed it. He's already done it for you. He says, I am. But he doesn't stop there. He identifies the Messiah with Daniel uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Verse 14, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. He's continuing to declare who he is and what is about to take place. And then he links uh, Psalm 110 and 1 beautifully with Daniel 7, 13, uh, and 14. And Psalm 110 and 1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstools. Right? He's again declaring who he is. Basically, he's saying, the one you now judge will come and judge you in the end. Right? Be careful. Today, he's saying, today I stand before you, but there's coming a day when you will stand before me. Right? They thought they had gotten him. They thought they had trapped him. And they didn't even realize what's yet to come. Those responsible are yet to stand before him. Think about that. They still haven't stood before him. But that day is coming. Soon and very soon, the day of judgment is coming, right? And we've got to be ready. As you can imagine, Jesus' words sent the high priest off infuriated him, right? And resulted in an uproar of self-righteousness, indignation, right? The high priest, we know that. He symbolized that by the tearing of his clothes, the, the ripping off of his garment. It was a night shirt probably. Uh, and he began to wail and he says, what further witnesses do we need? As far as we're concerned, Jesus had convicted and condemned himself with his own words. And the high priest, then and there, totally breaking the law, the Jewish law, ruled that he was guilty of blasphemy, a capital offense, and said that, one, no other witnesses were needed, again, breaking the law, and two, ask what the verdict of the council would be. Verse 64 of uh, 14 records their decision, and they all condemned him as deserving death. Yet when you read the law, clearly it said, Stoning, not crucifixion. At this point, things move from unjust to shameful, to just downright shameful. Mark uh, records four heinous acts that took place. They began to spit on him, right? They covered his face, blindfolding him uh, with their fists, taunting him to prophesy. 
the, uh, they continued on with all of those attacks, and again we find that the Lord remained silent. The guards received him with blows. They joined in with each other and beat and slapped this innocent, kind, loving man who is Acts 10 and 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and helping all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and yet this is the treatment that he's receiving these by these who undoubtedly witnessed the goodness of God the power of God. They saw with their own eyes the miracles of God. And yet, this is how they treated him. It's hard to put uh, into words the severity of the injustice that was taking place. But guess what? That's just the beginning. It gets worse, much worse as to the treatment that Jesus received. In verses 66 through 72, and I'm trying to, to hurry through this, but there, a popular saying that we say today is, I got your back, right? Maybe you've told somebody that, uh, I got your back, man, don't worry about anything. And basically the idea is um, that you're watching out for your friend, Right, I'm watching out for what's behind you as you're busy looking ahead. I've got you. You can trust me to look out for you. Even take a bullet for you if it's necessary. It's a pledge of devotion, loyalty, and true friendship. And such friends are few and far between, and they should be cherished, right? And Peter had made such a pledge to Jesus just a few hours earlier. We read it last week and the week before. He said, even if all the other disciples fall away, I won't, right? He said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But in verse 50, Peter had run away when Jesus was arrested, just like everyone else. But now we find him and only him drawing close to the place where Jesus is being held. Maybe he did have Jesus' back, but on the other hand, he didn't. He thought he would, but when push came to shove, he didn't. He didn't have his back. Some say of Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about, Peter. Uh, it said that he was below in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and uh, took notice of him as he was warming himself by the fire. She looked at him and said, you were with the Nazarene, Jesus, right? And her observation was correct. She was right in that. There's no doubt about it. But Peter rejected her accusation, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Right? You say I was with Jesus. I have no idea who you're talking about. Silly servant girl, right? You are as much as a false witness as the rest of them. And then he tried to get away. He tried to run away from her, right? And uh, he moved away into the, to the gateway, and what happened? 
the rooster crowed, right? But at this point, the sound of the rooster crowing really didn't have an impact on Peter. He didn't pay attention to it because he was too busy trying to claim ignorance of knowing who Jesus was, right? He's destined to fail. And don't forget what Jesus called Peter. He called him the rock. But here we find the rock beginning to crack in the midst of denial. Some say of Jesus, I don't belong to him. This servant girl was persistent. She continued on pursuing him, right? Uh, she began to say out loud to other people, this man is one of them, right? Pointing him out, even though he was trying to get out of there because he knew what would happen if he was caught. James Edwards says, a change in place is no substitute for a change of heart. Like a guilty conscience, the servant girl accuses Peter a second time. Peter's now on the spot. He's in the hot seat in front of others. Here's his chance to man up, right? To regain his courage and take a stand for Jesus, who he had just expressed undying loyalty to. But he falters a second time. He denies him. I am not one of his, nor do I belong to him and his rabble. Interestingly, the tense of this verb meant, means that he just kept on denying Jesus. He didn't just say one denial. He continued to deny him over and over again. It was a repeated denial. So the fracture of this rock, Peter, is growing greater and greater. Some say, I don't even know him. Peter fell the Lord three times as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now he fails him three times in the courtyard of the high priest. First of all, he failed him by sleeping when he should have been praying. Here, he fails him by denying him when he should have confessed him. Right? The rock named Peter crumbled and is pulverized under the pressure. Again, the bystanders call at Peter, certainly you're one of them. You're a Galilean. We can just tell by the way you speak. Basically, your accent gives you away. And this was all Peter could take. And he pronounces a divine curse. Basically, he says, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead. In modern times, he probably said, I swear to God, I don't know him, right? He couldn't even really bring himself to saying the name of Jesus. So he, he went the, in the opposite direction because um, he was just trying to distance himself um, from ever knowing Jesus. I want us tonight, and I'm trying to wind down, to ask the Lord, have I denied you before, Lord? How many areas of my life have I denied you in how many ways, how many different times? See, when I'm too busy to pray, I deny that you're the center of my life. When I neglect your word, I deny that you are competent to guide me. When I worry, I deny that you are Lord of my circumstances. When I turn my head from the hungry and the homeless, I deny that you are a God of mercy who has put me here to be your hands and feet. Maybe I steal something from another person, an idea or, you know, things like that to enrich or enhance my own life, whether that be something material or, you know, whatever. 
I deny that you are the source of all blessings. And yes, we all deny him daily. We all deny him daily. There's areas of our lives where we deny him. But I feel like the Lord tonight is saying, get real with yourself and ask me to, to shine my light on your heart and show you those areas that, that you've denied me because I want to come in and make myself known. I want you to be able to make a stand for me in every area of, my, of your life. And in verse 72, we find the word immediately again, um, that the rooster crowed a second time. And Mark tells us that then Peter remembered what Jesus had predicted, right? The precise detail of his denial. And this broke him. This broke Peter. He was overwhelmed by the betrayal that he had done towards Jesus, the cowardness that he um, had shown, and he began to weep. Luke 22 and 61 um, describes this moment right here. It says, and you've just got to picture this. So Peter's just denied him for the final time. He heard the rooster crow, and it says, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. The Lord turned. All that Jesus was facing at that very moment, and he turned and looks at Peter. Think about this. The love that he has for his children. That in the midst of all of this, his heart was still for Peter. He wasn't thinking about what he was having to endure, what he was going through. He looked at Peter. And he, it doesn't say that he, he worded, uh, uttered any words like, Peter, Peter, Peter. Right? He didn't shake his head in disgust. It doesn't say he lowered his head in disappointment. It doesn't say he said, I told you so. I told you what you were going to do, that you were going to deny me. Instead, it's a look of sympathetic understanding from the one who understood better than all what it was to fall into Satan's sifting hands for 40 days in a barren desert, right? It was that look that all of Peter's emotions suddenly caved in like a small dirt clod being crushed to powder in a man's hand. And what happened? The word says he began to weep. He began and he wept bitterly. But I'm sure he encouraged himself and realized it might be Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? He began to recall all these things that he had heard Jesus say, but now these words were becoming life to him. Wait a minute. Jesus knew I was going to deny him three times. It's all making sense now. He's beginning to connect the dots. And yeah, my Savior, my Messiah, my Lord, he's going to be crucified. But in three days, he's going to be resurrected. 
right? All of this began to come back to Peter. We see this. I, I mean, it's just a beautiful picture. The night was about to turn to dawn, right? Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The winnowing was over. We learn that we eat our words with the bitter herbs of repentance, right? And we may never take a dried look at sin again. It wasn't, and wasn't it that first tear down his cheek that cleansed his dirty soul, right? It was just, he realized. I think it was like that Paul moment. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Exactly what Peter's going through. All that was left was a naked kernel of faith, a small grain, but grain nonetheless. A grain Satan could not touch. Oh, he can touch the chaff that he asked for, but not the grain. Why? Because the grain belongs to the Lord, and he will bring it into his granaries. Jesus wants uh, neither regret, which involves the mind, nor remorse, which involves the mind and emotions when we feel bad. But what he's after is repentance. That's what he longs for. That involves the changing of the mind, the changing of emotions, and the changing of the will, meaning a turning away from sin. Tonight, I want us to know that no one, not even a spiritual rock, is immune to failure. No one is immune to failure. God knows our precise breaking point. And when we're surrounded by wrongdoers, doing wrong comes easy. We have to be careful with who we surround ourselves with. And the first step toward correction is not to act like we're strong, but to admit that we're weak. Because the word says that when we are weak, he is strong. I want you to stand to your feet tonight. And just for a moment, as the music begins to play, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search you, to show you those areas of your life that perhaps you have denied the Lord in. And I'm here to tell you tonight, there's not one of us that doesn't have those areas in our lives. We all need the Lord to work in and through our lives. So as the music plays, if you will respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, make yourself an altar. You can come down here, whatever you feel led to do. But just give the Lord a moment to work. My heart's been weary. My soul's been dry. And now I'm desperate for the water I've been so empty just getting by And now I'm desperate for the
thank you that tonight that river is still flowing. It's still flowing from Calvary's cross, Lord, and whatever we have need of, all we have to do is come to the river. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that the power of this word the truth of this word continue to search our hearts, Lord, to reveal areas of our lives, Lord, where we need the river to come, to wash us, to cleanse us, to make us more like you, Lord. I pray that tonight, even as we go our separate ways, that we just continue to lay ourselves on the altar before you, Lord, and ask you to search us, to know us, and to create in us a clean heart, to renew in us a right spirit, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that you bring us all back together safely. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Don't forget to bring whatever you signed up for on Sunday. That's to the Sunday morning service, and we will eat immediately after the service down there in the back. Love you guys. Be blessed. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you on Sunday.